You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times bestselling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Right Where You Are. This is, of course, your host, Jason Wright. Glad to have you here. It is launch week, depending on when you're listening to this, of course. But if you're listening to it on the day this episode drops, March 10th, Thursday, then perhaps you have already received your copy of the new book, Even the Dog Knows, which if you've been listening to the podcast for more than about 11 seconds, you know I've been talking about a lot over the last month or two. So very excited. Uh, We have had some really interesting episodes over the last month or so that have been sort of dog themed or book themed or writing themed if we as we have sort of focused on the release of the novel. And that's been really fun. And I saved the best for last. By the way, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, it is really fun. I was sort of the host uh, and the guest, and I answered questions from readers that came in by a messenger and Facebook comment and Instagram and text and email and all that good stuff. So go back and listen to last week. If you have not yet, it is, it is pretty interesting as I covered more than just writing, but also just some kind of interesting questions about life. Uh, So today's guest is someone probably the guest on the show. I've known almost the longest. I, I think I, when I interviewed Cody, my wife back in episode one, I suppose I've known her a little bit longer, Uh, but today's guest is um, a graduate of Brigham Young University in editing and publishing. Maybe she'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Graduated during the middle of the uh, COVID pandemic, which I'm sure was an odd and strange experience, and maybe she'll talk about that. Um, She is also uh, an aspiring writer, a gifted writer in her own right. (laughs) You see what I did there? And perhaps she will talk about that as well. She is married. She has three little ones and she lives in Orem, Utah. And she has served as editor on several of my projects in the past, those that you are familiar with, uh, novels, but also uh, some online articles that I have written through the years. Even just the occasional Facebook post she has done some editing on to make sure that it was flawless for the world. Her name, of course, is Oakley Shane Wright Van Meter. Welcome, Oakley. Hello, everybody. It's good to be here. Yes, I'm applauding. (laughs) And I'm on Zoom and you're on Zoom. So I get to look at your cute little Oakley face that I've known for a little while. So uh, anyone listening to the episode right now wants to know where the kids are, because if you're on a podcast, the kids must be somewhere. Yes. The older two, Gary and Annie are napping. And I guess Shane's also napping. He's with his dad in the other room. Excellent. (laughs) So Oakley, let's start. We'll we'll talk about uh, the the editing that we did, the writing and editing that we did together on the project. But uh, why don't you take just a second, tell us a little bit about you, your life, people listening might be interested to know something about your husband and kiddos. Let's start there. Uh, well, like you said, we live in Orem. Um, we've lived in our house for about a year. Troy, my husband, is at BYU currently studying computer science. 
with an emphasis in software engineering so that hopefully one day he can engineer software, I guess, <laughs> um, <laughs> and code and do all that fancy stuff that I don't understand. Um, the kiddos are great. They make messes and get into trouble unless they're sleeping. And sometimes even when they're supposed to be sleeping <laughs> and we have a dog bear who enjoys lounging around and being a part of the family constantly. So, yeah. So do you have a favorite child? No, I mean, maybe on a certain day or hour or minute, I might hmm. prefer the company of one over the other, <laughs> <laughs> but my love for them is the same. And um, do you think that I have a favorite child? I think the same policy applies. <laughs> yes. So if I had to have a favorite child right now, who would it be? Probably me. I, I mean, but, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But not all the time. Well, we all have our turns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, all, we all have our turns. It is true. Um, well, so you have been writing for a long time. You actually wrote a novel in high school. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it a novel by any stretch of the imagination. What would you call it? I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't even know how many words it was, if it qualified as a novel or a novella or a passion project. <laughs> Is that I what think, those are called? I think we should publish that. <laughs> I, I don't think we should. <laughs> I think my audience would love to read your first novel. Yeah, from what fifteen year old Oakley? Yeah, no. Yeah, what what did so you have been reading and writing your entire life? Mm -hmm. Do you do you have any idea why not not your all your siblings enjoy none of your siblings enjoy writing and reading as much as you do? Some of them enjoy it not even a little bit. <clears throat> Case and Coulson, um, where do you think that love of reading and writing comes from? Um, I, writing, I don't know. I mean, reading, I've always loved to read. It was always enjoyable. I mean, ever since I learned to read, I mean, I learned to read very young and then I just started reading all the time and I'd go to the library at school and talk to the librarian. She'd be like, oh, hey, read this book. And I'd read it and then another and another and another and I don't have as much time to read now as I would like, but I don't know. I think it's just my personality. I don't know that anything sparked my love of reading and writing probably in a similar way just comes down to more that you, it was part of our lives, right? Like I thought mm -hmm. you writing and doing these cool things. I'm like, Oh, I can do that too. And so, so, and your mom loves to read. I mean, your mom reads more than, I do for sure. Oh yeah. Um, and I think she's always been a reader. Do you remember your favorite book as a, as a little kiddo? As a little, little kid, like as the first favorite book I had was the dark Hills divide. I don't remember who wrote it, but it was the first in like a little series. It's probably like middle reader level. Yeah. They're still on the shelves at home. And I read that book so many times. <laughs> And so I think that that, that would probably be what I consider to be like my first favorite book besides, you know, like board books or children's books that I probably couldn't pinpoint a favorite. That would be my, the first book I remember reading multiple times. What was the book with the animals that we talked about all the time that it was, 
was it Sandra? What's the author's name? Sandra Boynton. That does the board books. Yeah, yeah. The the mm-hmm. animals that would get ready for bed and shower and then go. Yeah, work the going out. to bed book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have those two for our kids. Yeah. So yeah. Audience, those are classics. Yeah, I'll I will link to that book maybe in the show notes. There's a great book that we would the going to bed book. <laughs> yeah, that we would sort of lovingly make fun of sometimes because the animals would get ready for bed and shower and then they would go and do a little workout <laughs> workout before bed yeah before bed yeah uh well i i think i know your favorite novel like full length novel at least one of your favorites and i know it's not mm-hmm. mine well i mean but i think it's called sweet are... misfortune yeah i mean I, I love your books but that's the book i've probably read more than 10 times and who's that by again Kevin Milne. That's right. Kevin, I hope you're listening. Folks, if you have not read Sweet Misfortune, it is a really beautiful um, novel. It's it is a, it's a romance, but there's a lot more to it, perhaps, than some contemporary romances. Um, I do yeah. love that book. I love everything by Kevin, and and I will I will certainly link to Kevin's work as well. All right. So uh you have read. I think everything I've written, you're probably my only child that has read everything that I've written Mm -hmm. Um, in part because it is, it has generally been more interesting to than the others, uh, than the other kids, but this was an unusual project. And I remember as COVID was, you know, just kind of hitting and I had thought about writing something online before, um, but the, the opportunity seemed to present itself in a perfect way with, um, with the quarantine and the lockdown. And it was, you know, like that third week of March of 2020, almost exactly two years ago. And, and I, I think it started with a text message to you. Do you remember those? And it was relatively quick from, Hey, we should do this to let's do it. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was like days after everything sort of shut down. Like there's the gradual things got canceled. Things were closing. And then there was one weekend that we're almost coming up on the two year anniversary of the 12th, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. Church and the March madness and like all these things all within a couple of days, just like shut down and school got canceled. Right. That was my last semester at BYU. And I didn't know it was my last day of class on campus ever until it was over. And my teacher was like, no, they're not going to cancel classes. Like, and, and then two hours later, we got an email that said, yep, class is canceled for the next couple of days. And then we'll be moving to online through the rest of the semester. And I was like, oh, well, guess I'm never coming to class again. Um, but then a day or two later, I think it was that you first texted and was like, hey, since we all have some free time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I and I remember thinking this probably couldn't work quite this well at any other time and that it would force um you know me into a obviously a a schedule which I've never been really good at keeping someone like Kevin Milne who you mentioned earlier and other prolific writers are are much better at saying these are the hours every day that I write and I they're my uninterrupted golden hours some people call them for writing I've never been as good at that so Working with you and saying, here's the time I'm going to get on at one o'clock local in Virginia every day. 
Uh, but Sunday and Wright was obviously a huge help in terms of just generating new content every day. Do you remember the first day? Because mm-hmm. I, I know that there were some days when you were not on right at one o'clock because obviously you had other things going on in your life. But do you remember the first day of sitting there and watching me write? Yeah, I don't, I think it was it a Monday. It was, I can't yeah. remember. I think we started that Monday and, and I sat at my desk, you know, where I do my homework and, and I was just watching you write and probably scrolling on my phone or something while you were thinking. Wait, wait, wait. Like, oh, you mean you nothing. weren't, you weren't totally locked into every word? Is it? Well, there were periods out? of time when oh. you went back or you sat for a minute thinking about stuff. So I wasn't a hundred percent attention. I'm just kidding on you. I think my job was much more fun than yours was. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm sure there were times when you must've been sitting there going, come on, old man, write a sentence already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just, it's slower. So sometimes I would go back. Like there were a couple of days when I couldn't get on at one. So I would go in that evening and I'd edit that chapter or whatever you had written that day. And Go make sure. And I mean, stuff got caught all the time by people who were reading, like that I missed. Yeah, Someone yeah. would send a text or a comment on Facebook and be like, hey, there's this thing here. And yeah. I'd go in and fix it. Mom would send texts sometimes. I kind of noticed when I was reading because, you know, it's almost harder to edit in real time like that because you're kind of following the story. Like I was reading it as a reader too. Right. And right. so, like, it wasn't a story I was familiar with that I was editing. And so it's easier to edit when you have the whole thing. But when things change while you're writing it, like I think there was a character whose name changed and I didn't catch that the name had changed until much later. And then I went back and changed the first few to what it was stuck to, you know? Yeah, no, I, I do remember that. It's that, totally different. Yeah, it's, and I didn't know what I was writing either, right? I mean, I was I was working from ideas right. in my head, um, but it's not as if there you know, there were lengthy discussions there. I do remember you asking me um, several times, like, do you know what's coming tomorrow? Like, do you know what's coming on Monday or whatever? Mm -hmm. And kind of having, having a few of those discussions, like big picture, but, and I've had a lot of people ask, you know, how much was I writing in another window? Was I, you know, how much structural work was going on in places that the, that the audience quote unquote, was seeing. And the answer is not really like, I, I mean, I, I wasn't writing at all in any other, in any other format or venue. It was all on Google Docs. Um, yeah, it was a stressful thing. I've talked in the media uh, lately over the last week or so, as we've been gearing up for the launch about how almost emotional it was. There were, there were a lot of days when I would sit and feel just a, a little block, a little temporary sort of you know, like, I'm not exactly sure what's coming next. And because there were people logged on watching, it was like, oh boy, hmm. it's like being on stage, you know, at a show with an audience of people sitting out there and forgetting your lines or not knowing what's right. even supposed to come next, right? Yeah. I mean, there are people who write that way, not in the audience watching, but in the sense that they don't have any structure, mm-hmm. right? They fly by the seat of their pants. And they just kind of go and some people find success with that. And some people have to have structure down to the scene, you know, like right. this chapter and these scenes and this many, you know, and I mean, I think there's a kind of a balance with both of those and flexibility, but also having some idea of where it's going 
So yeah. t- talk a little bit more about that um, and leaning on, you know, your education. So there's, there's the panzers, I think they call them, right? The panzers and the planners. So talk a little bit more about those, those two camps and what that means to people that might be listening that haven't heard those terms before. So a planner is someone who, to some degree, plans a novel, right? They come up with an idea, like, we're going to take a road trip from this place to this place. And the story is going to be about this road trip. And they'll have some level of planning, whether it's this chapter is going to be this, this chapter is going to be this, or even scene by scene. Um, And then they'll be like, okay, every day I'm going to write a chapter or a scene or whatever. And then there's the pantsers who say, okay, I'm going to write a story about a road trip from point A to point B. And they just sit down and start writing. And so both can be stressful and both can be helpful. But I found personally, and also just from like other writers that I've talked to or listened to, that a balance of both having some sort of plan, but also having some flexibility usually fosters the best environment Mm -hmm. because when you plan too much, you can sometimes lose the magic of writing. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have any plan, then you tend to find yourself getting blocked more easily because you, if you have no idea where it's going, that's usually where you get stumped. You're like, Oh, now what do I do? And so when you have some sort of like, you know, roadmap, then it tends to help a little better. Yeah, I agree. And I've explained this sometimes this way. If you were, if you were making a movie and you know, you were, you were the producer writer, director, whatever, and you're sitting down with a studio or, um, you know, your, your investors and saying, look, I, I've got this great idea. It's about, in this case, this guy and his dog in a baseball bus. And, um, and he's going to, he's going to drive to Florida. I need $50 million to make this movie. And we'll just kind of figure it out as we go. There is not a person on the planet who would give you, I mean, I suppose if you had, uh, you know, the biggest star in the world in your movie. Um, yeah. Or you were Steven Spielberg or someone with. <clears throat> maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, mm. But they just would never green light something where you didn't know where you were headed in a, in a screenwriter knows. I mean, they, they, they know the climax of the film and kind of, you know, why it's all happening. It's all pointing to a particular destination. So I do think that I've, I think I have read novels where it particularly debuts um, where it felt like the writer did not know where they were going. And I don't think that should be obvious to the reader. I, I think readers, I I'm listening to the audiobook for uh even the dog knows now. In fact, I'll be done with it probably by the time people are listening to this. And by the way, it's so good. It is so good. Kirby Hayborn, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, does the most brilliant job of adding um, not just voice, but but real color and character to um, to the audiobook. I cannot recommend it enough. It is He just is so, so good at this. And as I listen to it, I sort of smile because, of course, I know... I know what's coming. And I think that readers like like that, like to wonder and you know, hear that last line of a chapter and go, okay, well, gosh, I cannot wait to to know what's coming because 
I don't know, but clearly the writer does, the narrator does. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. There's there's something there's something magical in that relationship between the writer and the reader, where the writer winks at you along the way and foreshadows this. There's one scene in particular that I've just gotten through in the audiobook on the bus with the vulture, and now that I'm listening to to the audio, I'm kind of smiling at. I didn't even realize how many times writing and and you editing that we had sort of alluded to that happening, this thing that's going to happen to the bus and a bird. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are some really fun little winks from the writer, me and the editor, you um, before that happened. So yeah. uh, Pantsers and planners. It's an interesting dance between the two. I do agree that there is such thing as over planning and over structuring and not allowing things to happen. I was talking to a writer once who said, their favorite thing was when they were writing a scene and all of a sudden a character they hadn't met and hadn't expected and certainly hadn't planned on suddenly walked into the room and, and it's just, okay, well, I, I guess I'm writing a new character in because, um, because the flow and the moment called for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about um, editing, even the dog knows and what, um, did you have a favorite chapter, a favorite scene? Did you ever get excited for what might be coming? Did you predict where things might be coming? What was that like for you? Well, I don't think that there were many times, if at all, that you told me preemptively where I was going. If you knew, like, you know, the climax of the story toward the end, when everything sort of falls into place, I didn't see coming, like, you know, even as someone close to the writer where you knew it was coming, I still didn't know. And so that was kind of fun because while you were writing it, I was just like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, And so that's where the story comes together. Always is the best part because you feel like satisfied with what has happened and the character's growth or lack thereof or whatever is happening when it all kind of settles you feel like satisfied so that's always my favorite part to read so reading as an editor you alluded to this earlier that you were also reading as a reader how is it different when you really tighten up the editor's cap and say okay now i I know I'm enjoying this from a reader's perspective, just from a fan or a customer's perspective, but I also need to be watching with an editor's eye. How is that? How is that different? And how did you do that? So as an editor, you're focusing a lot more on making sure there's continuity, especially when you were only writing like for an hour ish every day. And so, you know, character names gets changed or location gets changed or some detail. And so being aware of like consistency and like, okay, this character is this person, this character is this age. Like I remember we went through to make sure because when you first started writing, I didn't realize that it was, you know, what, 1992 or whatever. And I thought these people were different ages. Like I thought that I can't remember which one it was. Someone was older and someone was younger than they were. And so as an editor, I was like, okay, we need to make sure that everyone knows that this is the year 
yeah. and that this is the age without just explicitly saying on page one, Gary is this age and Meg is this age, you know, and having some like, you know, way to know what, how old they are or what year it is or whatever without having to explicitly lay it out. Then as a reader, I probably wouldn't have noticed as much, but as an editor was like, oh, hey. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And in a multi kind of a generational story like this, where there are some flashbacks and um, it and a, and a what is really a period piece, because it it does. I mean, the prologue is is um, you know New Year's Eve, nineteen forty nine to nineteen fifty. Chapter one is now in nineteen eighty nine, and then then you're to quote unquote present day for the the 99% of the novel, which is 1992. So um, yeah, it does get a little bit, it does get a little bit tricky to keep all of those details in place. And there was a, a, a lot of editing, obviously, even beyond what you and I did once it ended up in the publisher's hand. And I will tell you, I, and I think I have mentioned this before too, just privately, but, but to the world that followed along and is familiar with Oakley, either from, you know, our family's hijinks on social media or from this particular project uh, two years ago the the publisher um when it went into editing said this is an extremely clean manuscript which must be gratifying to you to know that you had done your job well during that process yeah i mean it was the first actual project that i'd worked on in that capacity like i'd edited stuff for you or like for classmates or done like free labor so to speak for like experience mm-hmm. or whatever but i hadn't done anything quite like this and now you want yet. to do more of this professionally right yeah i mean my dream would be to write and not edit but editing is a good place to start yeah and and the better you are at editing the better writer you'll become right sure yeah and i know that you have a couple of projects that you're working on now for some people as a private client right yeah very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, um, what is your favorite scene from the book without giving anything away? What is your favorite scene or one that you just really enjoyed editing? Um, probably. I really enjoyed the very last, I don't know if it's the chapter or the epilogue. I can't remember how that ended. Um, and the contrast between the first chapter and that chapter. Yeah. Yeah. That can't say a whole lot there. Can we, but yeah, I know what no. you mean. Yeah. There's a but nice, just like the way the, the start the, and the end kind of, yeah. The parallels yeah. I've always liked when books end and start that way. Yeah. So for, for those maybe listening that have started the end of the book will feel somewhat familiar in terms of, of uh, kind of a mirror, image of that obviously with the characters having been through a lot and hopefully hopefully changed a lot um i'm i'm impressed with how um the jokes there were some jokes that i wrote into the novel into the manuscript that i wasn't sure would survive all the way through editing because some of them are kind of cheesy and now that i'm hearing them on the audiobook, they're really funny. There's there's some great, and again, Kirby does such a great job of delivering them, but there are some really great. There's a Tammy Faye one-liner, a Barbara Bush one-liner, 
a Dr. Doolittle one-liner, a Matlock one-liner that are all just really, really funny. In the car, I have been laughing aloud actually at some of the jokes that that are so dated, right? Because we're in 1992. Um, there's actually, I had completely forgotten that there's a reference to Trump where she is watching the news and and he's being interviewed about the 1992 election. And she's like, why are they asking Donald Trump about politics? And oh, in, I remember that. Yeah. And in 92, <laughs> that would have been a fair question. Like why, and obviously, you know, we know kind of what happened um, 30 years later in the real world, but all right. Well, what else do you want people to know about you, the, the book, your career, your kids, and then we'll get to our last two questions. Um, I don't know. Just go and do what you love to do. If you want to write a book when you're 15 and it never sees the light of day, but it makes you happy, then do it. Do it. Or if you're 55 or if you're 80, if you want to write a song or you want to make a short film on your iPhone, you know. Do it. Yeah. yeah, it's more about doing what you love, not about doing it for the people. Yeah, that is, that is very good advice. Well, uh, my listeners know the last two questions. You know the last two questions. The first of the last is this. The name of the podcast is right where you know, W-R-I-G-H-D, a name that you are somewhat familiar with, though you ditched it for Van Meter. What does that phrase, right where you are, mean to Oakley, Shane, right, Van Meter? Um, well, I think it means, I mean, I remember when we first were figuring out what the podcast is going to be named, and JD's the one that came up with the name, thinking, you know, we're all in different places, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, even within our own lives, right? We're all at different places. And we live in a world where it's so easy to compare ourselves to what other people are doing because of social media and all that stuff. And so we're seeing people's lives play out in what seems to be this perfect way because that's what social media is for. And we're all different plate we're all in different places on this journey of life and so if you want to be better at something or you want to do something you start where you are right if you want to be a writer you don't have to be writing like harry potter or the stephen king novels or something because that's not your place right where you are is maybe writing a short story or mm. writing a novel about something that you know and love you know and so it's more important to focus on where you are and improving where you are instead of worrying so much about where other people are and trying to be where they are. That's good advice. Yeah. Be where you are, not where they are. Yeah. And they should be where they are and not where you are. Right. It's good advice. Good advice. Um, well, at the end of your journey, long after this podcast is nothing but a memory for most, even the most loyal listeners. What would you want people to remember about you? If you had to pick one thing, just one thing for people to remember about Oakley and her, her journey, her life, her career, her family, what would that one thing be? What is Oakley's one thing? 
that you can do hard things. Whatever, everyone's hard things are different, right? I mean, when I was in school and I had kids while we were in school, I mean, we're still in school. And many times people were like, oh my goodness, I could never be in school and have kids. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it is hard, but you know, it's possible. And everyone does what's right for them and for their family. And, you know, you can do hard things. I want to write a novel and I don't have time very much in my life because I have three kids <laughs> and a full-time job. And so, but I know that if I want to make the time for it, I can do the hard things. I can give up the fun other stuff I want to do in order to write the novel or whatever. I mean, I watch enough Netflix or Hulu or whatever that I could, you know, write a novel. So whatever the hard things are in your life right now or in the future, you can, you can do them. Yeah. That's that, that is a welcome reminder and ever it's like your previous answer about being where we are and not where someone else is. Our hard things are not our neighbor's hard things and their hard things are not ours. And the important thing to remember is that we're, we have all that we need. God gives us what we need to get through whatever today is. And, and we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't, we simply wouldn't be here if he didn't have eternal perfect faith in us to do hard things. And it's a good reminder to, for us to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I got this. Yeah, this is hard. Absolutely. It's hard. It's supposed to be hard. Life was meant right. to be challenging, but I can do it. It's okay to accept and recognize that it's hard. And yeah. it's okay to realize that some hard things are more visible than others, right? Yep. Someone is in a car accident and has to recover from that. Totally different than maybe someone's mental health struggles. That doesn't mean that those hard things are the ones harder than the other per se, right? Everyone's hard things are different. Just because you can't see someone's hard things doesn't mean they don't have them. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, you know what's not hard? Being your dad. It is a great pleasure and honor. There were days, there were days. There were there are days. <laughs> but I'm immensely pleased and proud of who you are and who you've become. Despite your dad, you have become a wonderful wife and mother and sibling to your three younger crazy siblings and uh, a talented professional and all of the good things you have become all of the good things. And I think what I most love about you is just how you always turn to heaven for help and guidance and all that you do. And, and, um, and I look up to you, I probably don't tell you that enough, but I look up to you immensely for, for all that you have accomplished and will yet accomplish. So thanks for being my go-to editor and a really great kiddo. Thanks for being a great dad and host on this fine afternoon. Fine afternoon. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Don't forget if you have already started the book, if you've read the book, if you finished the book, uh, we love Amazon reviews. Uh, they're super, super important for other people to find the book and have confidence in plunking down their own hard earned dollars to buy a copy. So, no matter where you have consumed the book, and I've said this before on the show, even if you didn't love the book, I'm okay with reviews that are honest. As long as they're honest, um, I, I can live with that. I would love to hear the truth about your uh, experience with even the dog knows. All right. Thanks again, Oakley. Thanks audience. We will see you next week. Bye everyone. Thank you for joining us on right where you are for more information about Jason and his projects. 
Visit him online at jasonfwright.com or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks or on Instagram at jasonfwright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions. Copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.